Welcome to Distrust and Disparities, Dismantling Black Health Disparities podcast. We examine health disparities that disproportionately affect Black women and Black families. In addition, we amplify organizations and individuals working to dismantle racist health practices and systems to improve health outcomes for marginalized communities. I'm your host, Jasmine Moore, a registered nurse, and I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Camille White. The whole, you know, obligation to go get my EMT license forced me to spend time in the emergency department, which is where I found my love for in-hospital care and, you know, really bonding with these patients and changing their experiences in the hospital. In this episode, we interview Brittany Daniels, a Black queer travel nurse, social advocate, and author. Brittany's book, Journal of a Black Queer Nurse, utilizes personal experiences to highlight the racist, homophobic, and inequitable environments that thrive in many healthcare systems in the U.S. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Distrust and Disparities. We're glad to be back here with another episode. So let's get into it. Nurses compromise the largest component of the healthcare workforce. However, many people do not always understand exactly what nurses do. And TV and media are to blame. Nurses make up nearly half of the world's healthcare workforce and deliver almost 80% of the hands-on care. Nurses spend more time with the patients than any other healthcare professionals. Nurses have consistently ranked one of the most trusted professionals for years, according to public polls. But what do you do when you are working in a profession that makes you feel judged and unsupported and bullied? We're excited to have a special guest here with us today to share her experience with dealing with patients who refuse care simply because of the color of her skin and also dealing with homophobic and bigoted co-workers who go out of their way to make your job a living hell just because of your identity. We would like to welcome our special guest, Brittany Daniels, to the podcast to share her experience as a queer emergency room nurse from Chicago. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I'm such a fan, such a fan of both of you, <laughs> such a fan of the podcast. So thank you. Thank you. So let's just, let's jump into it. We have a lot to unpack. We're excited about this conversation as well. All right. So we'll start with an icebreaker. We wanted to start by asking you about your first encounter with a medical injustice or health disparity. It could be something you or someone close to you experienced or something that you read about that really stuck with you. So this actually dates back to pre-nursing um, and it had to do with me. I, I will never forget this. So as an adult, you know, I started uh, being sexually active and one of the things that I was really, you know, adamant about was getting myself tested. And my prime, I'm lucky enough to have a primary care doctor that I've been seeing since I think I was, in, you know, 20, maybe 1920. And she wasn't in on the day that I was available to go in that I, you know, where I wanted to get the testing done. And so 
I took an appointment with another doctor at the practice thinking, you know, no big deal. I'm just going in for testing. It's nothing super serious. And I get there and he comes in the room after the medical assistant, you know, took my vitals and everything. And he asked me what I'm, you know, what I'm coming in for. And I said, I wanted to get tested. I wanted to get uh, HIV testing, gonorrhea and chlamydia testing. And he asked me who, you know, who I'm sexually active with, what gender. And I told him that I have, um, that I have, you know, sex with females. And he was like, oh, well, then you don't need HIV testing. Uh, oh, my <laughs> gosh. And I'm like, I think I do, right? But I'm a young kid, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm a young kid talking to this old, you know, old white man who's a doctor with a white coat and stethoscope. And he's telling me, you don't need it. And I'm like, well, what am I, you know, I'm thinking to myself, I can't, I don't have a place to argue with him. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I left without the testing that I needed and, it, you know, ended up going to a clinic and spending money, even though I had insurance. Right. And mm-hmm. so it's just like, that was the first one. And I, and I, th- I told my doctor about it later on and she was appalled. Right. But I just thought to myself, how many people, right. Every single mm-hmm. day are yep. denied access to something that, that they need. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, that's insane too, that a, doctor who went through so much training (laughs) and you would hope would have the knowledge that, you know, STIs, STDs are spread through a number of activities, no matter what your gender is, no matter how you identify as, and would just be like, oh, you're good. Like, what you here for? Which is just like, um, excuse me, can you just be like, oh, great. I'm glad. Like, it should have been like, glad you came in, glad you're being responsible, glad you want to practice like safe sex and like, let's get that done for you. Exactly. But like, and then people also too go through that whole thing of like, you don't want to question someone who has been lifted up onto Mm -hmm. a pedestal and is this authority figure that you're supposed to not question them because who are you? You don't have a medical degree. Mm-hmm. Who are, you haven't mm-hmm. been through years of schooling and you haven't had years of experience in say a hospital or a practice or whatever. So you do then question yourself, which sucks because then you question like your own advocacy and like, you know, your body. Right. It, it, that's, oh, that's so frustrating. Yeah, situations like this, it really ruins your trust in your doctors and just like the healthcare field. Like you're coming, you're opening up, you're trying to get testing and things like that. And for them to completely dismiss you without any regards, for some people, it makes them not want to go back to a doctor's office, you know, not to get, you know, routine care and checkups. Like, I deal with a lot of patients who just have trust dealing with doctors and just being upfront and forward with what they need. And it's one comment that sticks with you and it can determine like for the rest of your life, how you interact with healthcare. So it's just sad and disheartening. It is. It is. It's so frustrating. And I actually left that appointment not even not getting any testing because, mm-hmm. you know, the 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 way he spoke to me and just his demeanor and attitude about the HIV thing made me not even want. I'm like, I don't want this guy, you know, doing a pelvic exam on me. Oh, right. No. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> No. So I'm like, I'll just, I'll just go somewhere else. Right. right? But, yeah. you know, I'm sure there's so many kids that age who, you yes. know, if they go through something like that, they're just like, well, I, I don't need it. Right. And they just don't get the testing ever. Right. Or, mm-hmm. you know, for years on end. And then they end up, you know, 
dealing with health problems that could have been prevented. Yep. Oh. <laughs> crazy yeah <laughs> sorry to get so deep on the icebreaker <laughs> no, we, we need to talk about it like on our um previous episode where we talk about um stis and the prevalence like this needs to be talked about this needs to be discussed so yes needs Definitely. to be talked about have you checked out our website there you can find all of our episodes and show notes You can even listen directly on the site and catch up on any previous episode you may have missed. You can read our bios and see what we're up to. Also, we made it even easier to contact us. Just fill out the form on our homepage and click submit. We invite you to recommend guests and topics we should feature. So what are you waiting for? Go check us out at distrustanddisparities.com. Brittany, we all know that like you began your career as a firefighter. We just want you to talk about like what that experience was like, then how that inf- influenced you into becoming a nurse, and then just those those process and those steps of firefighter, EMT, emergency room tech, and then registered nurse. And then I guess I also had an additional question because my understanding, at least with firefighters, I thought. Typically, most people started out as like an EMT and then went into firefighting. So I was just sort of curious with your background and how your progression was a little different. Definitely. And, you know, over the last, I want to say, how old am I? I'm 33. I want to say over the last decade, the processes have changed a lot where in fire the firefighting profession, they're very uh, strict about having that medical experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but in 2019, you know, um, 2019, oh my God, 2000, <laughs> girl. <laughs> it's like, he was a nurse and a firefighter? What? <laughs> I'm losing it. In 2009, uh-huh. in 2009, yes. when I was a firefighter, a lot of folks were pushing like, no, I don't want to do the medical side. I only want my axe, my saw, and the turnout gear. Th- that was like that was the culture. It, it was almost like it was almost this, you know, dichotomy. You were either doing medical or you were doing firefighting, and then there was just this competition and this mm-hmm. arrogance, right, on both sides, where like the firefighters are thinking, you know, I'm too good to do the medical side, and the medical side is like. I'm so smart and you're not. And mm-hmm. that was that was kind of the culture that I experienced in in my, you know, short career as a firefighter. So for me out of high school and you know I've told the story uh, a couple times where I was I was in high school and I had to have a meeting with my guidance counselor because we had to talk about what our plans were post graduation, right? And I had no idea what I wanted to do, zero. Um but I was sitting in the chair outside of her office and I saw a little tower with pamphlets on it. And there was a pamphlet with a black girl in a firefighter turnout outfit and the hat uh, or the helmet and the axe. And I was like, that's dope. I'm going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Pamphlet changed it all. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Literally changed everything. And so from there, you know, in the, the meeting with the guidance counselor, she's like, okay, well, how are you going to do that? Right. So I signed up to be on the Explorer, um, pro in the Explorer program, which was like a cadet program for firefighters where you could go, uh, you go to the station, you do physical training, you train with all like the trucks, the engines, and you, you know, you get to go to all these events where you can see, you know, what it's like to be a firefighter. 
And um, I happened to be uh, a part of the group where the local part-time department was looking for firefighters and they wanted firefighters from that cadet program. So I was lucky enough to be chosen, you know, from that group to get hired on as a part-time firefighter. And at that time I had zero medical training whatsoever, just like first aid, you know, and at some point during uh, my firefighting the chief let us all know in a meeting, hey, everyone's got to get their EMT license. It doesn't have to be paramedic, but it has to be basic. Um, and that's going to be a requirement. And we're kind of, you know, it's like the whole ADN, BSN thing where they started making everyone have their bachelor's degree. You know, firefighters were required to get their EMT license so that they could provide medical care, which makes perfect sense now, right? In hindsight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like right. you're fires but you're also then going in to rescue people right. who then need aid exactly I'm like why was I allowed to do this without an EMT line <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, so yeah that was the whole you know EMT aspect of it and and honestly you know I I really did enjoy like the I enjoyed the the work. So, you know, going to these calls, you know, walking in, not having a, a clue what's going on before we cross the threshold of the door. I enjoyed that part. And I enjoyed the the, the patients, the people. Um, as far as like firefighting, though, there isn't really a personal aspect to it. Um, you go to a scene, you turn on the hose and, and not to make it seem, you know, um, like it's not hard work because it, it is, it's incredibly difficult and it's exhausting, but there's zero personal engagement. There's none. The only communication is with the folks who you're fighting the fire with. Um, other than that, to me, it just felt lonely. Um, I didn't have a community. I didn't feel like I bonded with anyone. No one was trying to be uh, more than just, you know, a strict like a coworker with me. Um, they had their clicks, you know, um, I, I, I talked a little bit about it in the book where, you know, it didn't seem like I was included. And that meant, you know, late nights where food wasn't saved for me, where no one was helping me clean. I was doing the tasks by myself that needed to be done around the station and things like that. And I just felt, uh, I felt isolated Mm. and, you know, the whole EMT transition, I think, really saved me um, because I feel like I would have just stayed in it. I feel like I would have just kept doing the firefighter thing because it was a career path, right? But the whole, you know, obligation to go get my EMT license forced me to spend time in the emergency department, which is where I found my love for in hospital care and, you know, really bonding with these patients and changing their experiences in the hospital. Yeah, because you talk about it in the book, just like your experience as a firefighter. And like I mentioned in the intro, we have this idea about firefighters, like this community, this um, bond, like you work together. But if you're in a field and firefighting is um, heavily male dominated, and I bet probably heavily like white male dominated, and yes. just dealing with those microaggressions in those situations. Like we're here to help others, and once the the job is over, just not having that bond, that community. When people just go out their way just to make it 
hard that's like very very tough and it's just very scary and it it doesn't have to be like that like we're all here to do a job to help others and it's just frustrating very frustrating definitely and one of the other things that also made firefighting a little scary and I experienced this in nursing too um the competition um always trying to you know one up somebody or make someone else look bad to make yourself look better. Um, it's definitely not as uh, prevalent for me, at least in nursing, but it was absolutely prevalent in uh, the fire service. And it made for a very toxic environment um, because instead of feeling like you've got folks who have your back, you feel like you've got to watch your own back um, and keep yourself safe. Yeah. <laughs> That's never how you should feel, especially in such a dangerous profession like that. And I think TV shows maybe occasionally will like quickly touch on it and then be like, it's all kumbaya at the end. I right. think about like the show 911, where you have, you know, a black woman, you have, um, an Asian firefighter as well. And like, they make it seem like we're one big happy family. And like, maybe there's like a few bad seats here, but like, whatever, they don't really matter in general. It's all wonderful. And it's just like, that's not the real world. And you're also setting people up who look at the show and go, maybe I want to do this for a living. And then they get here and they get slapped in the face with reality. And then they're in situations like you were in where you luckily saw a way out, but so many people just stick with it. And you should never be in a profession, especially as dangerous as this one, then going, can I trust the people that I go to work with every day? Can I know that I'm showing up to a scene and know that they're going to be worried about me and making sure that I get home? Because that's, ooh, yeah, like Jasmine said, TV and media have like, they've done a disservice to actually showing really how things are and being honest about racism, being honest about homophobia, being honest about, you're going to encounter some raggedy ass people at work. <laughs> And, you know, be prepared for it or like, let's show like people organizing and stopping it or removing the people in power who aren't doing anything about it. Right. That's huge. Yeah, it's 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 absolutely you said it really well, the disservice that media, you know, is doing for folks who are considering going into these careers. And you're absolutely right. It is a big, huge slap in the face when folks enter these careers and they figure out, oh, my God. This is nothing like the show. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> right. Nothing. Absolutely. And we wanted to talk about like your transition from um, being an EMT to um, segueing into the hospital and how you were speaking on. You got to interact more with the patient. So we would love just to hear about like that transition. Yeah. I, you know, honestly, so I've, I've, I am very, very lucky because the whole transition from firefighter to EMT was sort of forced on me and it was good for me. It was beneficial. Similarly, when I was an ER tech, I was like, oh, I'm making $14 an hour. Like this is dope, right? Like I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm paying the bills. I'm working like six days a week, getting this overtime in. Like I thought I was good. I was like, I'm not going to nursing school. Why would I do that when I can stay doing this? <laughs> God, right? And not there's nothing wrong with being an EMT. Let me say no. it right now. But I had no motivation to keep going, right? Mm-hmm. Until one day, 
something happened. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it out so that folks will, will read the book, but something happened that got me fired. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that was like the big reality check that I needed. It was the kick in the ass that I needed because at that point I was like, <laughs> I guess I should, I guess I should consider maybe advancing my career a little bit. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so at that point I started taking the prereqs that I needed to, um, you know, to go to nursing school. I was in a place where I was settling, right? I was bringing home a check, which I thought was a lot at the time. I had insurance, you know, um, I had fun at work and I was good at what I did. And although people around me were telling me, you should go to nursing school, you should get a degree, I just kept pushing back against that. Um, And it really did take that swift kick in the ass for me to be like, oh yeah, I should, dang, I ain't got a a dime in my savings account because I was just making ends meet, right? Mm -hmm. And thinking about like how the, the things that I was doing in the hospital were fun, but the things that I should have been doing were things that I needed to have a degree to do, right? And a nurse, Mm -hmm. a nursing license to do. So uh, I'm glad that, that happened, right? Um, it's it's interesting how the whole thing happened where I was terminated and there was another responsible party there who was uh, white and a higher rank and they did not get fired, of course, mm-hmm. you know, so that was difficult for me. Uh, also something that I'll never forget, you know, when you think about the uh, disparities between uh, the disparities and differences in punishment when it comes to black versus white folks and, you know, people in positions of power versus not, you know, I lost my job and I thought I lost everything. So I kept, you know, after I got fired, I was applying for jobs while simultaneously taking these prereqs for nursing. And every time I would go to a job interview, they would ask me about my previous experience and they would say, oh, well, why'd you leave your last job? And me being very honest, and, mm-hmm. right? I would be like, oh, I got fired. <laughs> and- <laughs> right. I read that part and I was like, what? <laughs> I can talk to Listen. little Brittany like, oh. like, girl, no. Shush, just be quiet. You don't have to tell them that. Right. <laughs> right. It's so funny because it, it reminds me of, um, I have an older sister. When I was, I think I was 10, maybe, um, she got into a very slight fender bender. And the police came to the scene just to, you know, check on everyone, write up the report. And they asked me, they said, hey, were you wearing your seatbelt? And I was like, no. And, <laughs> and my sister looks at she, she like darts her eyes at me and was like, what? Right? <laughs> yes, you were. And I was like, no, I wasn't. <laughs> oh, Listen, I do a lot, but I ain't going to lie to you. I... <laughs> You're going to get the truth out of me, okay? <laughs> so, yes, I kept telling folks that um, that I was fired. And so I was rejected, rejected, rejected. And then I finally got hired at Planned Parenthood, which was super exciting. And same deal. I told them what happened, and they still gave me a chance. And, you know, I'm forever indebted to them for that because that, that really did, like, open up a path for me that I didn't know existed, right? Um, I... 
I am forever grateful uh, to Planned Parenthood of Illinois for the opportunities that they've given me. And, you know, through nursing school, like tailoring my work schedule so that I could still go to school, right? And get, you know, because it changes every semester, right? And nursing school undergrad is no joke. And I didn't have parents to pay my bills for me, right? Um, To make sure that my car payment, my insurance and phone bill were paid for. I had gas in the tank. So, you know, those two years of that intense uh, associate degree program, you know, was me working as much as I could, eating uh, Lay's chips and tuna cans, right, to, to, to feed myself so I could make it through. And it was totally worth it. So that was, yeah, that was the, the big transition for me from ER tech to nurse was, it was messy, right? Uh, and it's not always pretty and it's not always perfect. But, you know, when we are in a situation where we have to we have to make it work we're going to make it work i wish it could have been easier for me um but at the same time i'm glad that it wasn't because it made me appreciate what i have um a whole lot more yeah and i would say situations like that like you see other people making mistakes and they don't get the same harsh treatment and so being terminated and, you know, just falsely judged, it really sticks with you. Cause I had a situation like that on like my first travel job where <sighs> my contract was terminated, not for something that I did, just like false accusations. And it, it, it feels horrible. It just like lingers with you. You're just like angry. Cause you can't like, it's nothing you could do to say they already made up these false judgments and things like that. And it's like, I'm here to help and to do my job and this is how I'm treated. And it just sucks and it really sticks with you and hurts. So it does hurt and it makes you, it, it really causes you. It's, it's like every encounter that you have where you know that you're being um, judged, mistreated, um, undervalued. It's like, uh, it's like just you're laying another brick, right? And then you're just laying another brick. And so then it becomes this huge wall that you put up because you're fearful of all the interactions that you have. You're, feel f- you're fearful of all of the um, endeavors that you're going to be experiencing because, again, you feel like you have this big old target on your back, you know? Mm-hmm. And I talk about that, again, throughout the book. It's just I feel like I'm always, like, watching over my shoulder, you know? Yes. And you're it, you get to a point where you're like, second guessing and double checking everything that you do, not in a healthy way, not mm-hmm. in a, not in an accuracy way, but in a, I don't want someone else to come for me sort of yeah. way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and living our lives with this, this shield around us is, is, is hard because it, it, it weighs on us, you know, and it wears us down over time. That's weathering. That's exactly what the weathering is. And yes. that then can, visually show up physically in our bodies, yeah. mentally, the the issues that come with that. And it's also where a lot of people don't understand that when it's just like, yes, you are going through struggles, but your struggles aren't based off of your race. Your struggles aren't based off of your sexual orientation, your gender identity. It's It's not based off of that. Like, okay, I'm not saying that you don't struggle, but like you got different worries. So People need to be aware of that and understand that. And if you really do want to be helpful, be an ally and be supportive, acknowledge that. Don't just be like, yeah, I struggle too, because this is just like, 
That's not what we're talking about right now. We're talking about the specific struggles other people face, marginalized communities face that are inflicted on us because of society, because of white supremacy. Like that's, we can talk about your struggles later. We're going to talk about this. This (laughs) right now. And in the book, when you speak up, you tell, say your nurse manager or your supervisor, you tell them like they're, treating me unfairly because I'm black, because I'm gay, because I'm X, Y, and Z. And then they they gaslight you. They say, no, that's not that. It's not that. What you're experiencing is not racism. It's not sexism. It's not homophobia. And nothing's being done. And you have a incidents in the book it's not until like you leave because it's a toxic environment you go somewhere else and then they want to come back like oh we finally did something because we notice a trend multiple people (laughs) are leaving x y and z so now we want to do something now we want to put something in place but it's like y'all knew y'all had this problem y'all let it fester y'all let it go on and nothing is being done there was um yeah i'm so glad you brought that up okay so there was uh, a physician at my first hospital ever. And, you know, part of it is I was working at uh, a Catholic hospital, which, you know, that can come with some things, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And for me, it was actually what really, this is the, the, the person that really triggered me to be like, you know what, I'm journaling every shift. I'm doing it. I don't care. Right. He came out of a patient's room one day and was like, oh, I just don't understand. I It just doesn't make sense to me when a woman is talking about my wife this, my wife that. And I just sat there like, wow, okay. So you felt, you felt bold enough to say that out loud in front of every single person that's sitting here right now. All these patients' doors are open. They can hear you too, right? Mm-hmm. And so I knew what kind of person he was at that point. And this would be the person to really make me you know, uncomfortable. Um, And what that would look like, it would look like this. Hey, doc, the person in room four wants uh, Tylenol. Oh, okay. So to order the Tylenol. Okay. Mm. So, right. And so, okay, fine. You want me to put the orders in so that you can do whatever you're doing. Great. So, you know, next time, you know, we have this issue. Hey, doc, I'm going to put in some Tylenol for room six. I just want to let you know. Mm-hmm. Don't rush me. Okay. What? <laughs> okay. Last time you said you wanted me to put the order in. Now I'm telling you I'm putting the order in. Now I'm rushing you. What What do you want? Right? And it would just look like little petty stuff like this over and over and over again and making me feel like I can't speak up. I can't advocate for my patients. I can't ask any questions. Mm-hmm. Right? And what happens when we feel like we can't ask questions? We don't. And when then what happens? People get hurt. Mm -hmm. Right. So that was so frustrating for me. And yes, I will say that at this point in my career and in my life, um, I wasn't on my antidepressants yet. So I was very like, anytime something happened, they got me upset. I would cry, but it wasn't me crying because I'm sad. It was just, I was so frustrated that Mm -hmm. I would cry. And when I went to my manager to say, Hey, look, like this isn't just a day. This is like weeks and months. This is bad. I would get hit with the, don't take it so personal. It's not personal, right? And and that really just like, that was like the knife and then the turn mm-hmm. um, for me because I'm, 
I'm literally telling you, I'm giving you objective information, objective, you know, uh, situations and examples. And you're telling me that I'm taking it personal. Why? Because I'm crying because I'm, because I'm visibly upset. You know, you're not even giving me the chance, right? You're not even trying to understand from my perspective, how this could look. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just this doctor. There were other people who Again, target on my back. There were situations where people would be like, oh, hey, you gave that med wrong. You know, after seeing me go to give the med, they would wait and then say, hey, you gave it wrong, right? Little did they know I called the pharmacy. So I know I didn't give it wrong. But Mm -hmm. why did you sit there and watch me give it and wait until I was done to tell me it was wrong, right? Because then it looks like you're trying to lay a trap. And I don't like that. That's exactly what it sounds like because you're literally watching it happen and then waiting until after the fact. No, if you cared and wanted to make sure that you were doing it correctly, you would step in immediately and be like, oh, 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 wait a second. Right. Like, le- like uh, how are you going to do this right now? And not just wait for you. But like, it's just, it reminds me too of like, you're taking it personal. It's the classic thing of like, you're too sensitive. Yeah. You know, and it, it all falls on you and your demeanor and your personality and how you handle things when it's just like, no, it's the person inflicting this shit that needs to be addressed. But like you were doing mental, like jumping jacks of like, okay, <laughs> you said this one time. So let me like change it up. I'm gonna switch it up my approach. And then it's like, oh, no, that didn't work either. Okay, (laughs) let me recalibrate. Let me switch it up again. And you're like, you know what? There is no switching it up because you just don't like me. You don't respect me. And you want me always walking on eggshells because you don't really even want me here. Exactly. Exactly. And I was very, you know, obviously very black, you know, obviously openly, you know, gay. And so all of that played into the way that I was treated by these people. And, you know, granted, this is, a, again, I, I think it was like a 98 point something percent white community. Um, I was one of the very few black people that lived in that community. I was a, one of two black people that worked in the hospital. And Ooh. right. So, it was one of those things where, you know, they were so used to, and a lot of them had been there for a long time, you know, so they were used to their, their flow. They were used to their people. They were used to their, um, uh, their bland, you know, (laughs) (laughs) non-diverse crew. Mm -hmm. And here comes not just a black person, but a short-haired lesbian with tattoos who doesn't hide them, you know, regardless of what your policy is, this is who I am and I'm coming in. And if I'm hot, I'm taking my jacket off. Yes, my tattoos are on my skin. I'm sorry if that bothers you. But if I'm doing CPR on somebody, I'm not going to sit here and pass out, right? And so it was just, I was unapologetically me. And that bothered so many people and they made it so clear that it bothered them. Uh, 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 uh. And it's sad. And the thing about healthcare and medical professions, our first job is to do no harm, but we're harming each other in the process. We're letting our prejudices and our biases get in the way. The whole incident, if you didn't call the pharmacy about that medication, you were just going to let you give the medication incorrectly versus stepping in like, hey, I noticed you took, you're about to give X, Y, and Z medication. How are you giving it? Do you know how to give it to help say, you know, help the patient, but you Mm -hmm. would rather see a patient harmed in the process in order to get you fired, which is, that's insane. I have to say that the patient was black. Mm. And so, yep, 
Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's not, lo- it's not lost on me, right? That they yeah. noticed that this was a black patient, you know, and a black nurse. And so what better way? Two birds, one stone, right? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if it's going to be anybody, let it be the black patient that, you know. And, and so it's just so crazy because yes, years passed and I get a phone call as I'm driving, you know, down a California road that, hey, um, remember back in... <laughs> 2017 when you were right like we're still seeing that and I'm sorry I'm sorry that I didn't do anything about it then but it's bad now <laughs> right well, it's worse. Effect, it's affecting it's white folks now oh my goodness and so we need a statement okay we <laughs> oh we need you to write a statement you know it's just <laughs> we we could have prevented all that, right? Mm-hmm. We could have prevented all that if y'all had taken my concerns seriously, you know? It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This concludes part one of our wonderful discussion with Brittany. Please subscribe and stay tuned for part two coming July 21st. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to suggest a topic we should discuss or share your own personal story, email us at distrustanddisparities at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate, review, and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Distrust and Disparities and on Twitter at DistrustPod. Thank you.